Um, I, I'm excited to have Pastor Poncho back with us this year. I know um, <clears throat> he, he has been a, a, a great friend um, over the years. We both came out of the same church. We both came out of Pastor Rawls Church, served together in West Covina. But really, as we went into the ministry, man, he, he's been just a, a, an asset to me and this church. He's been on our board over the years. And, and uh, would you guys give Pastor Poncho a warm Calvary Chapel welcome? Thank you, Ray. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's pray together. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we're gathered here together as mere men. Men, Father, that have not fallen from heaven. Men that are earthly. Men, Father, that were born and raised and will die on this earth. Father, we come to you asking and pleading. Some of us are even begging that you would do a transformation in our lives. We ask you that you continue to hygienize our hearts and cleanse our consciences. Forgive us of all sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness and all filth. We ask you, Father, that you will purify through your precious blood things that are in our eyes that we have seen. Clean the blood that is in our hands. Remove the dirt from our feet wherever we have trotted where we're not supposed to. And heal us, Father, from every stupid decision we have made according not to your will. We pray for our wives, for those that are married. We pray for our children. We pray for our wayward children. We pray for children that are not walking with you. The heartache that we go through as we see our own children wandering away from you. Help us restore our marriages, our homes. Let us not look at the economic travail for right now, but let us make an inventory of our own personal commitment to you. Revive in us your spirit. Refresh our continued commitment to you. May we see the cross of Jesus Christ more clearly. May the cross not become a burden, but a joy to carry it. Be with us as we're gathered here together about to open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you have a seat? Good morning. Good morning to all of you. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And so that we can have order, I put an alarm here. So if you hear a dog barking, it's just my alarm. Just let me know, what's up, dog? Turn it up. So if you hear a dog barking, that, that gives me just four minutes to wind things down. I don't want to go over it, and I shouldn't. In Luke chapter 9, we begin to see what is a disciple. I like to cover four things. What is a disciple? But what is, secondly, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because you can be a disciple of John. You can be a disciple of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had disciples. The, the, the Pharisees had, they said they were disciples of Moses. Disciple basically means a student. That's basically what it means. When you go to Mexico and South American countries, Central American countries, when you say you're a student, you say, I'm a discipulo, I, I am a student. So the word disciple basically means a follower. So four things I want to cover. What is a disciple? What is a disciple of Jesus Christ? And third, the criteria 
to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What is the criteria? What is the necessitated thing for us to become disciples of Jesus Christ? And then I'll close with the cost of being a Christian disciple. There's a price to pay. There's a heavy price to pay. Many people do not want to pray, pay that price. In the Bible, uh, we hear and we see and we feel that Jesus had multitudes. And then to emphasize there were more than 2,000 people. Now, we, can, we don't have to be theologians to find out how many people were following him. Because the Bible records that there was a miracle where Jesus fed how many people? 5,000. And then he fed again a second time how many? 4,000. So now we know how, what is the estimation of the gospel writers when the gospel writer says, in great multitudes. Now we know they're in the thousands. In the thousands, we're following this man. This man named Jesus never went to rabbinical school. Jesus never went to a formal education. He, he was from a humble family living up in Galilee. Galilee was kind of like the, not the good side. It's the it's wino country, if you know what I mean. For anyone from, to come from Galilee and not having an education, being a common man, and yet to have followers, hundreds and thousands of followers, people would scratch their heads in those days. Who is this man? He doesn't have any letters, meaning he doesn't have credentials. He doesn't come from, from religious family. He doesn't come from the Levitical line. He did, but uh, you know, physically, he's just a carpenter's son. And people were following him in mass. Now, in the Bible, we know there were all kinds of people. There were people that I would call looky-loose. They were just following. Just, hey, what's happening? It's like an accident. <laughs> what happened? And it's exciting because, you know, nothing goes on in Belen. You know what I mean? So let's go. <laughs> and then there were other people. They're basically where they were looking for a free lunch. They would say, man, he fed us the last time. Well, let's follow him. Maybe we can get the lunch. And so... And they're following him. But truly, within even our own structure of our church, we have not everybody is a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have believers in Jesus Christ. We have followers of Jesus Christ. And then you have disciples of Jesus Christ. You need to know this morning who and what you are. Are you a follower? Are you a believer of Jesus Christ? Now, all three of them are good, man. They're all good, but we're not talking about being good. We're talking about being exceptionally better, superior. What is the best superior thing? Well, to be a disciple. I don't want to just be a believer. I don't want to just be a follower. Because Peter gives us an indication that when Jesus was being led to the crucifixion, the Bible says that Peter followed him and followed him and followed him. And then he failed the test. When he was asked, are you one of his disciples? Um, no, I'm not. I don't even know this dude. By the third time he was asked, he was busted. As he was warming his hands, they said, you are one of his disciples. For I can tell in your accent. You see, Galileans had an accent. It was very peculiar. He says, I can tell that you are from Galilee and you are one of them. 
And he says, no, I do not. And he began to curse. And then you hear the ominous prophetical promise of Jesus. And I always look at that, at that scene as a scene that I never, ever want to experience in my own life. I don't ever want to see Jesus looking at me like, what happened, Pancho? What happened? Never. It is so embedded in my head, in my heart, that I do not want to ever do that to Jesus Christ. You see, love causes you not to do those things. Why can't I become a player? I cannot become a player. Why? Because I love my wife too much. And I will hurt her. I will hurt my children. As fine as this chick may be, a nice Chaka Khan, it's not for me. Why? Oh, she's gorgeous. You know, it'd be wonderful just to, you know. But the consequences of a momentary, spontaneous pleasure or gratification for less than 30 seconds. I'm being real with you guys, man. You want me to be real? You want me to just go back out here and become just a I'm being real with you, man. For 30 seconds, for some of you, 15. For 15 seconds, you're going to ruin your relationship with Jesus Christ, your children, your home, your conscience, your heart, your walk with Christ, just for 15 seconds? No, my friends. That's what the Bible speaks volumes. When, when Peter heard the, the, the rooster crow, the Bible says in one of the Gospels, there's only one. The Bible says that Jesus was there handcuffed. And when he heard it, that Jesus made eye contact with Peter, and Peter made eye contact with Jesus. The Bible says that Peter experienced Great, great sorrow to the point where he went to weep. See, I, you have to understand where I'm coming from. You're talking to an individual that have never read the Bible in his entire life. Up to the age of 24 years old, the Bible meant nothing to me. When I became a Christian, I didn't know how to read English nor Spanish. I'm one of those cultural tragedies, you know. <laughs> And so I didn't read Spanish, I couldn't read English, but by the grace of God, God transformed me and I began to have a love for reading. I began to read cartoons and I began to go to school again. I went with, with a bunch of immigrants from Vietnam, from Cambodia, from Laos and El Salvador and Guatemala. Here I am, I'm a homeboy, I'm a veteran, I'm an American citizen and I have to go back to school to learn things like see, cat, run humiliating man but that was a prerequisite in order for me to get to the other class to get to the other class and finally to get to English one I have to go through the academic hoops and I went to the academic hoops until I went to English one and I began to read my books read books read books read books and my friends that is all I do now I enjoy reading devouring books because I was ignorant for 24 years 
People would tell me what to do, what to say. People would dictate to me. It wasn't until Jesus became the governor of my life. And he says, don't listen to anyone. From now on, I will guide you. I will lead you. I will tell you things. And it will blow your mind. Follow me. Boom. I'll follow you. And since then, since then, I begin to read the Bible. So I come to you with that, with that aspect. I've never read the Bible. So when I begin to read the Bible, there were some out of sight things that I begin to discover. What is a disciple? And, and what is the requirement of a disciple? What is the cost of a disciple? And so when I look at the scriptures, they speak volumes to me for my commitment and my loyalty to him. What are you today? A follower? Are you a looky-loo? Are you a wannabe? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I hope that today, for all of you, if not most of you, if not a few of you, if not at least just you, out of the entire group, can walk away from this event today and you have a sense of renewal, a sense of commitment, where you say, today is the day that I committed to the Lord Jesus Christ completely. No more hang-ups, no more weirdness, no more madness. I am sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ today. That will be a victorious, successful conference if one of you, just one of you, but I would desire that all of us, can you imagine what would happen if all of us were set loose wherever you go and you're a changed individual? No matter what people say, no matter comes your way, you're going to be dedicated to the things of God. You're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're more than a follower. You're more than a believer. You are now a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? Well, like I share with you, a disciple basically means in the Greek a pupil or a learner. In the Latin means discipulos. It corresponds to the Greek word mathetes, which means to learn. I remember, remember that show Kung Fu? There was a guy named Grasshopper. And he had a master called a sensei. A sensei with a master. And, and the disciple commitment was to emulate his master in the arts of, of self-defense, attitude, disposition, mental fortitude, how to, how to breathe deeply, how to meditate. So it was just that. Every time homeboy was, was in a situation, he, you know, the, the show will take you back where he gets a word from the sensei. And then the, and then the, the, the scene will come back where he remembers the master and that. And that was the whole show. That's why they canceled it. It wasn't that hot. <laughs> in, the, in the Greek world, philosophers were likewise surrounded by pupils. You have Plato, Aristotle, you have Socrates, and the Socrates, Plato, and all these dudes will have their school or their little philosophical team. You have also the, there were so many, there were so many um, schools of philosophy, and, and these people were become the pupils. In the Bible, around 270 times the word disciple occurs. I share with you that you have the Pharisees have their own disciples, according to Mark 2.18. The Jews considered themselves to be ultimately disciples of Moses, John 9.28. 
And then you also have John the Baptist and his disciples. They also, John also had disciples. And so that is basically a disciple. What is a disciple? A follower of a master. Now, the second subject will be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not a disciple of Kung Fu. You're not a disciple of a philosophical conviction. You're not a disciple of some kind of a, a weird doctrine. A disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand this. Although Jesus Christ was not officially recognized as a teacher, he was popularly known as a teacher or rabbi because of the people that followed him. Thousands of people would follow him. At one point, Jesus deliberately wanted to thin out the ranks. Deliberately, he thinned out the ranks. How did he do that? He said, listen, he who does not eat of my flesh and he who does not drink of my blood has no part of me. What does the Bible say? That the followers and the looky-loos and the wannabes couldn't figure it out. They were interpreting that Jesus was speaking about cannibalism. They thought, oh man, these guys, this guy's gone crazy. He wants us to drink his blood. He wants us to go and chow down on his flesh. That's not what he was saying. You see, whenever God speaks, when he will speak in parables, some people caught it. Other people were saying, huh? And yes, like today, if you're not a Christian right now, see, this is a Christian conference, but let's assume that some of you thought there was an indoor swap meet and you're here by chance. <laughs> and you go, oh, well, you know what? It smells like bacon here. You know, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to see what's going on. Okay? Assuming that you're not in the right frequency, you're not a Christian. All this is foreign to you, and it's understandable. If I were to be here before I became a Christian, I will feel very uneasy with all of you. Because you sing, and you hold hands, and you guys hug. That was not me, man. That's not where I would belong. Jesus will be speaking in a spiritual frequency that other people were not in the same tune, and they couldn't understand it. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, the reason you do not hear me, he says, because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my, my voice. So what was he saying? He's saying, listen, the reason you don't understand me and the reason you are not catching what I'm saying is because you are not my sheep. I am the great shepherd. And the reason you don't understand the frequency, the reason you don't understand what's going on is because you are not a disciple. You are not my sheep. Every time he said something heavy duty that pertains to life and godliness and a warning, he will always end his quotation by saying this, let him who have ears. Now, isn't that kind of dumb? That's insultive. What do you mean, let him? I got ears, Holmes. I got ears. Yeah, you have ears, but you do not have an ear here. That's what your wife tells you sometimes. You say, honey, I'm listening to you. No, no, you're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. You got two antennas, and they ain't happening. You're hearing me. I can hear you, but you know. I can hear you knocking, but you can't come in. And so, so Jesus was speaking to people uh, that were disciples, and they understood what he was saying. 
And so Jesus was a master. The word can be used for all who correspond to his message. It refers most, more narrowly to those who accompanied Jesus on his travels. It involved personal allegiance to him, expressed in following him and giving him the exclusive loyalty. Jesus taught his followers to make pursuit of the kingdom of God their highest priority in life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He gave us a sense of priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Priorities. So as we read here, we read in chapter, what, what chapter did I give you? Chapter 9 of Luke. He said this in verse 23. He said to them all, he's speaking to everyone now. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. The reality of life. Verse 25. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in his Father's house and of the holy angels. The invitation to become a disciple is for everyone. Everyone that's following him already. You see, he had followers. And as he had followers, all of a sudden he says, listen, they're already following him. You get it? They're already following him they're already interested. They already have an inclination. They have a, a predisposition of, of walking further with him. But now Jesus makes it more clear, makes it more graphic. He said, listen, he who desires. So number one, you have to have a desire. If you don't have a desire, you said, I, I want to lose weight. You have a desire. But if you don't do anything about it, you're just going to continue to expand because you have no desire. When you have a desire, you have to prioritize whatever the desire is. I desire man to lose some weight. Then you need to prioritize. You need to sacrifice. Perhaps you need to get up half an hour earlier and for half an hour just walk around the block. Oh, that's too much. It starts with somewhere. Start somewhere. Jesus said, if you have a desire... He says, this is what you got to do first. He says, deny yourself. It ain't about you. Because for a long time, we live in the trinity of, of, of egotism. What is the trinity of egotism? Me, myself, and I. It's all about me. And Jesus is trying to change all that. You want to be a disciple of me? You want to follow me? You want to be a disciple? You have to change your whole format and got your thinking. It ain't about you. It's about others first. So forget yourself. And the best way to forget about yourself is now you have to carry the instrument of death or capital punishment. You see, when we hear the cross, we romanticize the cross. Oh, the cross. No, you see, back in those days, it would be the equivalent of telling you, he who wants to follow me, come and let's get a lethal injection. He who comes after me and you want to follow me, come, carry your own electric chair, follow me. You want to follow me? Come and carry your gas chamber. Those were the antiquated capital punishment of the 50s and 60s. Jesus was basically saying you need to die. You see, there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of egotism. You have to die. That was the the requirement. You have to 
die to yourself first. Number one, a desire, die to yourself, pick up the instrument of death, and now as you self-mortifying, self-mortification, you're dying intently. Now you follow him, and you follow his footsteps. We are now disciples. We are trying now to mimic. We are not trying to emulate. We are not trying to ape. We are now trying to be Xerox copies of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do when he was confronted with false accusations? What did he do when he was wrongfully accused of something he did not do? What did he do when he saw poor people? What did he do when people couldn't defend themselves? What did he do? He was always giving of himself, showing the way, the truth, and the life. Creating miracles and wonders. And he gave the power. In Luke chapter 10, he gave the power to 70 of his disciples. And they went and said, I give you authority over scorpions, over serpents. Go and heal people. They came back rejoicing, man. They came back. Goes, oh, Lord Jesus. They came back excited. Ooh, the demons are under us. We saw people being exercised. We saw people being healed. It's exciting. And you know what Jesus said? Don't be excited about those things. This is what you should be excited about. What do you mean? Have been seeing exorcism and seeing people healed and seeing the wonders and the miracles and the power of God in us? mere men, and you're saying there's something else, what should be more glad than that? That your names are written in the book of life. Wow. That's it. Power. Power can come to you through Jesus Christ. It ain't about you. He says, but you ought to be content and happy that your name is written in the book of life. When was your name written in the book of life? The moment you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Around 20, 30 people yesterday, their names were written in the book of life. I don't know about you guys, but you know, a lot of Mexicans, they have a lot of, they have a bunch of names. My legal name, check this out. My legal name is Francisco Alejandro Guerrero Gomez Juarez de Montserrat. The Montserrat is a Spanish one. All of us go back to Spain. That's the last one. When I joined the Corps, my drill instructor said, oh, no, 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 we ain't going to go through that. Come <laughs> on, no, shorten your name. Which one you like, boy? Which one you like better? Let's go with what is. Uh, what is we ain't going to go through all that. So when I got out, my, my, I, got, I kept my two names, Alejandro Juarez. Shorten it. And I thought, oh, man, what if I die and go to heaven? And Peter asked me, what's your name? And then what about if there's no nicknames because they're in Pancho. They're Pancho. No, we don't have Pancho here. We have Paco, Kiko, but we don't have Pancho. We have Cisco, but not Pancho. I'm being facetious. Whether your name is William and they call you Billy, it's there. Whether it's Henry, but you go by Hank, it's there. God makes no mistakes. He knows everything about you. The day we go before his presence, the books will be opened, and your name will be written in the book of life. It's recorded. It's there. And so Jesus told his disciples, don't get excited about that. And so go to Luke chapter 10, verse 1. 
Those who become disciples were taught by Jesus and appointed as his representatives to preach the gospel. Notice verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you as lambs among what? I mean, he's straight up, man. I'm not sending you to no kindergarten. I'm sending you to the ghetto. I'm sending you where all the meth users and all the crackheads and all the pipers are there. I'm telling you to a place where it's horrible and I'm sending you as doves among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say shalom to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worth of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as they set before you. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day of, Sodom, of the day for Sodom than for this city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done for you here and, and done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and noticed his prayer. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them to babies. Even so, Father, for it seems so good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son will reveal this to him. Then he turned to his disciples after the prayer, and he said to the disciples privately, he says, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have heard it. What a privilege. He talked to his disciples. He says, what King David wanted to see, he could see it. What Solomon, what Ezekiel, what Jeremiah, what Isaiah, what all the prophets they spoke about, what Noah, all these prophets wished to see what you, common people, fishermen, dysfunctional people, they desire to see what you're seeing and to hear what you're hearing. Because every prophet will say, one day, every prophet will say, soon the Lord cometh. One of these days, the king of Israel, the Messiah will come. One of these days, and that day was there, and there he is. And he tells his disciples, 
Blessed are you for the things that you see. I'm blessed. You know, look at Thomas. I'm always fascinated by Thomas. When Jesus was raised from the dead on a Sunday morning, there were 10 apostles and the rest of the people. Mine is Judas. But there was one guy missing, Didymus, the twin, Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. I don't like that term. I like him. He's not doubting. He's like you and I. Because in order to authenticate what you see, the reality, you got to say, I got to see it, I got to hear it, I got to feel it, I got to smell it, I got to taste it. Five senses. And so he missed this whole action. So Thomas came in and Jesus already vanished from their sight. And they said, Thomas, dude, he was here, dude. He was raised from the dead. And Thomas said, I will not believe until I touch him, till I feel his wounds. A week passed by, correct? And Jesus appeared to them. This time Thomas was there. And Jesus wasted no time. Like he knew who was not there the last week. Because the Bible said he went directly to Thomas. Thomas, talking trash about me? (laughs) You're talking trash about me? Come here. Jesus didn't go up to him. He says, you come here. See, Jesus could have gone up to them or to him. But Jesus gave the invitation. You come to me. I'm here. Come. Thomas did not take a step. But the Bible says he fell to the ground. And he says, my Lord and my God. But this is what Jesus said. Thomas. You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those. Blessed are those who have never seen me and yet believe in me. That's us. I've never seen him, but he changed my life. I've never seen him, but I have a hope. I've never seen him, but he transformed my mind. I've never seen him, but whatever he promised me, everything is coming to pass. Why should I deviate now for 30 seconds? Why should I deviate now? I'm too, I'm too in already. You see, there was a time when I was younger. I was able to see the future horizon, and it was a horizon. Now I can look over. There ain't no horizon. It's a precipice now. I can look back. I have more memories now that I have a future. That's a reality. Am I freaking out now? Absolutely not. I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, look, look above in, in, chapter, in chapter 9, verse 57, and I'll leave you with this. Verse 57 of chapter 9 of Luke. Now, it happened as they journey on the road that someone said to him, Lord, hey, the dog. And it happened as they journey on the road that someone said to him, number one, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus responds to disciple wannabe number one. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What does that mean? If you want to follow me, even I, the master, I don't own anything. Even the birds, even foxes, dirty animals, they have homes. 
but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. In other words, you want to follow me? You can't inherit any fortunes with me. Second wannabe. Verse 59. Then he said to the second one, forgive me. Then he said, follow me. Forgive me. 59. Then he said to another potential disciple, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus, unlike Jesus, responds and says to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. What does that mean? When see, in the ancient days, uh, you cannot leave until your father passed away. That's just the way it was. But the radical love and commitment of Jesus Christ See, people misunderstand when Jesus said, if you love your wife, your children more than I, he says, you are not worthy to become a disciple. He was not saying to hate our family because it goes contradictory to the law of Moses. Jesus was not saying that we become cultish because cults many times, they cut you away from families. Jesus was not saying that. What Jesus was saying that you have to have a greater love than your own family. That's all he was saying. So here, the man says, you know, I follow you, but I have a commitment. I have loyalty to my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. In other words, Jesus was, was, was changing the commitment of level, a commitment to follow God. You can still take care of your dad, but you also need to also facilitate and participate in sharing the gospel and go preach the gospel. And then the third one. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. He says, I'll follow you, but let me spend a little bit of R&R in &R my family before I leave. 62, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you understand the concept? When you have a plow, well, let's bring it up to Current, current metaphor. <laughs> you ever drive on the highway and they just put brand new tar pavement and someone has to re re reline it? And you can tell somewhere along the line, Humble was, was on the cell phone or he was texting or he took a shot or something because those lines go like this. What happened here? Well, he, he probably sneezed. I don't know what happened. But somewhere along the line, the lines are crooked. They're not, they're not symmetry. They're not in line. They're out of line. When you're plowing, you have to have both hands. And you got to know where you're going. You cannot let go of it look back because you're going to go crazy. And so Jesus was saying, you need to put both hands to the plow. You need to dig forward. What's behind you, there's nothing you can do about the past. There's nothing you can do about tomorrow, but there's something that we can do today. I close with this. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower? Are you a believer? Are you a wannabe? Or are you a looky-loo? Now, if you say, I'm a looky-loo, so good. But today, I want to be from a looky-loo. I want to go to become a disciple. Now, what holds you for being a disciple, a full-on committed disciple? What holds you? I don't know. But you do. 
Could be a chick. Could be pornography. Could be you're still selfish. Could be that you're a Christian, but you resent being a Christian because you think that on the outside you could have been better, more successful. Perhaps you're fatigued, you're tired following Jesus without seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Perhaps you're just angry with God because of your lot in life. Your station in life is not what you think you should be. There are many variants. There are many things why things would hold you. But as Paul said, let us run that race that is set before us. Taking those things that hinder us from running. What is holding you? I don't know. But if something is holding you, I only have two minutes left. If something is holding you, and you know what's holding you, you don't have to tell me nor tell your friends. But I am going to ask you to come to the altar of God. I will pray for all of you. We will wait one minute here at the altar. In, that, in those 60 seconds, you are going to disengage. You are going to vomit out. You're going to talk to God. God, I hate pornography. God, give me a supernatural love for my wife. Lord, allow me to be humble and to apologize to my children. Lord, I don't want to fight no more. Lord, change me, transform me. Take this anger, take this bitterness. And that's between you and the Lord. You don't have to say anything. Remember, the Bible says that God knows our thoughts. And right here, as you vomit and you regurgitate all that madness, then I will pray that God will fill you with forgiveness, with restoration, with anointing, that you can walk away from this place, cleansed, hygienitized, forgiven by God and God alone. If that is you, would you just quickly come forward, whoever you are, quickly, quickly, just come and just lay it here. You don't talk to anyone. Don't talk to anyone. Don't talk to anyone. Just come forward. As you're forward, begin to speak to God, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to take the madness, to take any bigotry of any racism, any vice, any madness, anything under the table. You're cheating, conniving, no more. Lord, those things are, are keeping me down. I don't want that no more. So come. We'll take 30 seconds of mere silence. And now you are talking in communion with God. And Father, as the men are communing with you, I publicly commune to you. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Protect my eyes. Keep me away from evil, evil people, evil ways, and the evil one. Thank you for the daily bread that you put upon my table. I lift to you our children, my wives and ours. We pray for their marriages. We pray for their lives. We pray for their goals, their trajectories. And we pray, Lord, that they worship you even much more than parents are. I lift them up to you. So, Father, as these men have divulged, have communed with you, have shared their hearts with you, I ask you now 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that your anointing come upon these men and that you will make them to be what they're asking you to make them to be in their prayers now. Bless them. Bless their families. Make them all humble, Lord. May their wives, may their children, may their co-workers, may neighbors, family members, may they smell, may they see, may they sense that there's a change in this man and do it all for your glory as we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You may go back to the seat. Love you guys. Thank you so kindly.